0: hello and welcome to anywhere is very good television podcast i'm liz shannon miller at Liz on the twitters
1: and i've been travers i've been t travers on the twitters
0: and welcome to episode 186 of this of this show we did it guys (laughs) that's a real special number i guess i don't know it is now um but yeah uh we're going to talk today about how the system is broken. Everything. Everything is broken.
1: I mean, our minds. We are our much broken. Our hearts.
0: Yeah, everything. But this time, we're seeing. We're going to talk about the television that we've watched lately that reflects this. Vet- this, you know, kind of perception of just kind of how screwed up things can kind of seem right now. I think you know, there's television that we watch that makes us feel good, that makes us feel happy, that makes us think that things are irreparably broken.
1: Like Big Mouth.
0: Yeah, big mouth. Good place. Leftovers. Yeah, that one. That's definitely. That's it. definitely one. <laughs> that makes us think that the world's not a broken place. Yeah. Why? What? The It's literally about a broken world.
1: No, no, no. It's about a a, a fractured world that's trying to come back together. And if you remember correctly, Liz. Spoiler alert. It does
0: does it is are you talking about come back together in the form of Na- Nora and Kevin? Of love. <laughs> uh, jar. No. Yes, Jar. It
1: <laughs> was very important.
0: <laughs> jar. Yeah. All right. Well, Ben loads up the jar with yet another dove.
1: Hello, Lori. What are we even talking about?
0: <laughs> um well, what we do that? um ben i mean tommy
1: look at little tom top
0: yeah everyone did great everyone's just fine
1: not everybody lives. Oh, geez, that baby never came back
0: we haven't we haven't we haven't uh, we recorded two podcasts two weeks ago which means this is the first time ben and i've done a podcast together in a little while and so clearly we're coming out strong
1: i've been thinking about the leftovers a lot lately
0: um, as opposed to any other time period in your life since the show premiered.
1: I think I have just had some time where I was alone with my thoughts, you know, like on on planes or mm. cars or something. And I was, you know, it drifts. Yeah. And then it hits the leftovers and it becomes, you know, engaged.
0: Fair enough. So, it's a very good show. But speaking of other shows. Then- Why? <laughs> Because, because this is the topic you proposed in relation to a show you just watched. Yeah, but
1: Liz, you know, like you know, if you're in a band and 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 you're starting to you have like a set list, but then you, know, you start playing and then something really comes together and you just feel alive, like you, you chase that, you, know, you just you just go all the way down the road with it, and then you know, in our case, 15 minutes later, we're done.
0: <laughs> yeah, 15 minutes later.
1: Now with the leftovers. <laughs>
0: I actually don't think that our long. I should check and see what our longest ever recorded podcast has been. Not counting the Sam Asmull coming by to yell as, yell at us about the leftovers. So I guess oh. tangling that would count. But I, I don't know if the longest episode we've ever recorded, just you and me, is about the leftovers.
1: I think if Sam ever comes back, we should have the exact same discussion.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think so.
1: I think we. I think time. We'll have do we still
0: think that the best television show of 2017 was
1: The Leftovers <laughs> or <laughs> and it, and The Handmaid's Tale? Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, do you, Liz? Have you come around?
0: on oh, for 2017? Yeah. No. Oh,
1: Liz, that's disappointing. Yeah, I wonder well. if Sam's as stubborn as you are. Probably. He did seem pretty stubborn.
0: He's pretty stubborn.
1: I bet if I started talking about the boat cruise, though, that would probably win him over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even even how much we've discussed the lion sex orgy as a culture, I don't think it's lessened the shock value of the fact that they got away with an episode like that.
0: I'm trying to remember now what you texted me after you'd watched that screener, and Mm -hmm. I hadn't watched it yet, and you were just like, Liz, an episode is coming, and you're going to really like it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that was
0: basically all you said.
1: It was definitely that sentiment because it was Christopher Eccleston. Yes. There was an orgy. Yeah. And, I mean, a lion was involved. Yeah, I like all those things. All of those things are very much up your alley.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the records have it somewhere. Anyways, point is... Great show. Ben Ben tried very very nicely to talk about TV that we don't find depressing in the usual ways. Um, But... TV the TV show that we do find depressing in the usual ways. Oh, I
1: don't find the leftovers depressing.
0: No, I know. I'm saying I'm I'm, I'm saying not in the usual ways.
1: It's invigorating. And it's often very funny. Remember on the boat episode when the, the guy letting him on the boat asked for like a dirty joke and Lori tried to step in. Like they needed it from the Reverend, but Lori tried to step in and say her joke. I still want to know the end of that joke.
0: I gotta say, that was the scene that made me realize that I feel probably, I feel a kinship with Lori on that show probably more than a lot of the other characters. That's scary, Liz. I know. You don't think I deal with that on a regular basis?
1: Do you deal with it?
0: No, actually. I suppress it entirely. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's why we have these discussions, because... <laughs> You don't go to therapy, and I shouldn't be your therapist, but nobody else is doing the job.
0: We should. You go to therapy, too? Oh, yeah. Do you go to therapy? No. Great. We're doing great here. Talk about making a murderer now. Why? Because.
1: It has nothing to do with leftovers.
0: <laughs> but it's about broken systems.
1: Well, I mean, again, the leftovers is, there is, there is, there is fractures.
0: Do you think that. They're ready
1: to explode as Kevin said, on the pilot. <laughs> Let's go back to the pilot.
0: You haven't even had any coke today. Why are you doing this to me? I
1: just, I again, I, I think the band analogy speaks for itself. I feel like we had, like, a good stream of consciousness going, and we were going to be able to chase that down. And, I mean, I thought your resistance would be futile, but it's been
0: persistent, so. here, Here's what I'll give you. Here's what I'll give you. Oh, great. If you can spend, if you spend two minutes just quickly describing how you feel about the latest season of Making a Murderer, season two, now streaming on Netflix, we can go back to talking about The Leftovers.
1: Wait, is it two minutes or less?
0: No, it's a, max, a minimum of two minutes. I have to spend two minutes. You have to spend two, two minutes. I'm looking at the clock right now. Okay. We're not doing seconds, so it's a, just as, you know... Approximately two minutes. Okay. So, go. Are you, are you ready? Yeah.
1: Oh, I've got a good one. Hold on. I'm about to hit. We're about to hit nine minutes.
0: Great. We've been talking for nine minutes already? Well,
1: no, there's been some. <laughs> oh, that's right.
0: We, we, we had a pre Oh, we went over.
1: Okay. So Making a Murderer Part 2 faced a number of challenges uh, in its in its attempt to kind of revive the sensation that the original docuseries created. And uh, anybody who forgot about Making a Murderer somehow... It got past them. If true crime just isn't your thing, um, it was a case study of one Stephen Avery who um, was originally convicted of a crime that was overturned by DNA evidence, or I shouldn't say overturned. It was... uh, He was let free because it was uh, uh, inconclusive, whatever. So he got out. Um, Once he got out, um, he claims that he was targeted by... Uh, the local Wisconsin police force and court system uh, because they still believed that he was guilty of other things. They didn't like his family. They uh, had a vendetta against him for whatever reasons. Uh, you know, you you can watch the show and, and discover. But point being, soon after he was released, you know, a few years, I think, um, five years maybe, uh, he was charged with another crime and put back. Eventually he was found guilty despite uh, pretty extraordinary efforts by his— team of attorneys to show um that there was uh, some questionable dealings with the law enforcement and in that they were framing him like it it became fairly obvious that they were trying to set him up for this murder um despite all of this despite everything that they tried to do despite everything the appeals process that came afterwards Stephen avery remained in jail and spoiler alert for season two he remains in jail to this day um
0: despite like the you know, the discussion around the show in its first season being, like, this guy should be out and, like, there being, like, a popular groundswell of support for him.
1: Yeah, one of the most notable cases was Change.org petition uh, that was, at the time, direct to the White House, like, mm-hmm. uh, got, like, 500 600,000 signatures asking for the president to intervene. And uh, President Obama actually responded and said, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm the president of the United States. This is a state Decision, the governor, et cetera. Somebody would Wait, have to. So, decide. really,
0: is it like if, if you're the president, you can't, you can't appeal, you, you can't uh, pardon a state crime?
1: Um, I, mean, I mean, I don't quote me on this. Right. This is what was said in the documentary slash in right. Obama's statement. Uh, that being said, within season two, there is a lot of discussion of once the appeals process gets outside of the state level, mm-hmm. the power of the federal government to rule on this case is limited only to. Um, basically just an insane, unconscionable interpretation of whatever the state had ruled. So like if if a state judge did something so egregious that there's no other way to look at it, then this guy must have been drunk or high or just a lunatic, so we have to make a correction here. Right. And the correction would just be to vacate the ruling i don't think it's to overturn it so i think he could still be retried in the state system etc mm. but the retrial is basically their best hope once they get to that point and even that is slim to none because if, again that's a very high bar for the federal court to uh, right. take on anyway so the point being that the problem facing season two was that everybody had come to know the case because of season one like it was a pretty big state story when it was happening, and a lot of Wisconsinites were aware of what was going on with Stephen Avery. Um, but it wasn't as much of a national story until Making a Murderer Season 1 came out, and when it did, the audiences started tracking that case day by day. Like, all of the kind of appeals processes, his uh, new attorney who was very vocal and like, using Twitter to try to round up support, all of that earned stories, I mean, on IndieWire and outside of it. Like, all like entertainment sites to news sites were all covering this in one way or another. Many books were written by the people who were subjects of the of the story itself. Uh, his original team of lawyers went on this, like um, I think they called it like a rock star tour, where they'd show up for various speaking engagements and talk about, you know, this uh-huh. is how this is how the system is flawed. This is what we need to do to correct it. This is what you need to know. Like blah blah blah. Anyway, people know what's going on with these guys. So when season two starts, you know the ending. You know what has happened. If you're you know, if you were that interested in the case. And only those people are the ones who would still care to watch season two or should still care to watch season two. Um, So having that bar is kind of what makes it difficult because you can't recreate that element of surprise the first one did where you're learning all these facts and you're like, this is so terrible and so egregious and so crazy. Um, But drowning that out is just an unbelievable amount of repetition on the part of the filmmakers uh, in part two where they show a lot of the same evidence they show a lot of the same footage they show they show a montage of pictures of Stephen avery that we've already seen in both the first and second season and that's the only thing on screen for a minute like i don't know why they did this
0: i mean is it is he is it kind of the sense of making sure that people who watch season one don't have to go back and rewatch season one
1: no um interestingly enough it does start with kind of a summation of what happened after season 1 came out but it is not it by any means a recap of the events so that you'll be caught up it it tries it's just repetition for repetition's sake exactly and there's some of it is built into the what the story they're trying to tell in that you know his new lawyers are trying to go through the old evidence to discover new things or reassess the case to find flaws when it was first tried so that they can get it retried because that's again one of the only ways to get it done but all of that amounts for the viewer is just I already know that you're going over it again and I'm sitting there waiting to hear if you find anything so egregiously missed or misinterpreted from season one. You know, hopefully that'll be interesting. But that doesn't really happen. There's there's things that come up which are developments but nothing as pertinent as anything that you discovered during season one. So anyway, as you're watching this, um, and this was the point that, uh, I originally brought it for the podcast before we got off on a much better tangent, which has now been wildly interrupted. Um, it's that as you're watching it, I feel, or as I was watching it, I should say, I, I felt like I was even more critical of what they were discovering than I would have been, or than I than I was when I watched the first few episodes of the first season. Like when I, in 2015, the end of 2015, when... The first season came out. I was watching these and being like, oh, man, this is crazy. Something's going to happen. You'd see those news stories pop up, and you're like, okay, maybe they'll be able to fix this, whatever. In season two, it feels like nothing feels like enough. Like, the, there, there couldn't be a smoking gun with you know, with smoke billowing thick enough to possibly get anything to happen. And, and part of the problem is that, again, you know what happens to these guys, and – but you can still hold out hope that something within these episodes that hasn't been released yet would help them and would spark some sort of fervor and, and you know, what? progress their case. But you're just so pessimistic at this point. The world has kind of beaten us down in terms of being hopeful that our justice system and that our government will be supportive of rational thought. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in general, that, that the world is, you know, supportive of facts. And, and rational thought is something that's not anything you can take for granted these days. Um, and I think that that changes your interpretation of watching the show. I think that, that, that the time period in which it's being released, which, again, we've talked about ad nauseum in terms of just how the political world has changed our interpretation of watching stuff these days, uh, but specifically to watching something that requires, you know, an overt, stunning amount of evidence uh, to get anything moving at all um, and new evidence seeing what they come up with is just so disheartening and your reaction to that of just being like, that's not enough. That's not enough. That's not enough. I think that's inherent to the time as much as it is to, I you
0: think, know, well, the show itself. I mean, people have talked about like kind of this fundamental shifting of what we believe to be true versus not true. And I feel like actually the, I'm doing you a favor here. I was going to talk about the show when you brought up this topic. My initial reaction was, "Oh, that's exactly like this one comic book show I've just been watching," and in fact, I feel strongly that it does apply. Like Daredevil season three is very focused on <clears throat> what happens when you are a very rich man, and when you when you are a very rich man uh, with a lot of with a lot of power in a system that can be easily manipulated to suit your needs. Um, but I'm also now. I feel like this is triggering some memory of one of Damon Lindelof's many long uh, posts about Watchmen, and kind of how, and in general, like Watchmen as a the Watchmen comic as a as a you know narrative has like a really strong bent on like the idea of image and the idea of what is a superhero versus the reality of what their what their lives are like and what. And how they function within the system. And I can see like there being a real connection there in terms of, I don't know, I could be talking out of my ass, but I feel like there's, as we, as the basic foundations of what is what is factual and what is not factual, what can be manipulated to serve as, you know, to, what can be manipulated in this respect and how like the right question can make you suspect that somebody's telling a lie when they just don't know the answer. Like, I feel like we're in this, like, we're in that stupid, this stupid, awful bubble. And as a result, stories like Making a Murderer make sense. But I also see like, I think I think the way in which creators working in, you know, scripted and fictional storytelling are also still trying to cope with it to some degree.
1: Well, what's interesting to to me, uh, first about your your Daredevil point, after I thought about it a little bit, was um, was that it's almost the opposite of. For the viewer, in that, I think that what you're saying happens in in the third season of Daredevil with, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character, right?
0: Yes, uh, Wilson Fisk.
1: Right, um, like the the world. Around the show, like the the real world, uh, the the context that viewers are bringing in, whether they you know acknowledge it or not, will service that idea. Would would support the idea that this guy could get away with the stuff that he's getting away with yeah. because we've seen not that exactly, but similar things happen where you're just like this guy is rich enough to just get away with this thing. Right. Rich, powerful, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, supported by the right people, what have you. Um, whereas with making a murderer, especially in season two, it works against the viewers' experience of the show because it becomes doubly frustrating. Like not only is the show very, very long, um, very, very repetitive, but if you just are constantly feeling that sense of this is not enough, you're going to start to feel like you know they're wasting your time even more, or that you're just um, hopeless in a in a in a bad way, and not in a way where they're they're trying to teach you like a lesson about the court system, so much as they're just—it's just this cause, this specific thing they're trying to do. And making a murderer has been and continues to be mainly an advocacy piece. Um, it, it's not effective in that way. Um, so it kind of works for the Daredevil thing and works against it here. And what's interesting to me about Watchmen and why, again, I, I think that you know Lindelof has the right idea in terms of how he's approaching it is a he's creating new characters and a new story based in the old world but it's that he saw as did a lot of people the original work as something speaking to the time in which it was written and commenting on you know the current events of of that era and and that interpretation of it was what helped make it such a powerful story um that's you know (laughs) birthed so many others um so for him to to be someone who is very conscious,
0: um,
1: an, an addict, as some might say, in terms of like the news cycle itself. Like he's very aware of what's going on, and, and um, an advocate in his own right uh, for for certain causes. Um, for him to take the groundwork that he so very much admires and build from it a news story for our times to provide the same service in a medium in which a lot more people, well. I would say a wider variety of people might engage with it, like like a show on HBO.
0: A show on HBO has more of a reach than a comic. Even like one of the most iconic comic books of all time has more reach than, yeah. Yeah. A show on HBO has more more impact.
1: So for him to do that seems like uh, like the right idea. And again, I, I don't know. Don't want to say what you do know. What the plan is, like what the what the what the exact, you know, <laughs> uh, commentary or, or relevance is going to be. But um, the idea that he's trying to do that with something like this, and the fact that HBO is supportive of that um, is pretty great to me. Like, I, 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 I like the idea of big swings most of the time. I like the idea of people trying to provide hope, which, again, is something that, you know, you want to believe making a murderer and these kind of true crime stories would do. Like, they're not exploitative. They're there To try to shine a light on something that deserves the magnifying glass um even you know the fictional stories that you're talking about again like watchmen like daredevil um if they're trying to shine a light on something even through metaphor or or you know a figurative interpretation of a real life injustice and that allows people to talk about it or apply that um, parallel to a real life scenario that's incredibly helpful and that um can give hope and hope is necessary even if in times like these, it, it feels like it's gone,
0: well, or it I'll, can
1: feel can feel like it's gone.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, I I wish that I could say that the there's a, a a more nuanced commentary in Daredevil season three on this subject. I think it's it just it leans really heavily into what we're talking about, but it doesn't push basically. What the the fact that Wilson Fisk is able to manipulate the law to his to his to his to his to his, bid, to his bidding, um, essentially then tracks into not the most cliched of superhero uh, character d- dilemmas, but a pretty pretty big one, which is, is it right to kill somebody if there's just no other option? Oh boy. Yep. It's one of those. You know,
1: Gotham handled that very well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Just murder, yeah. Flat out murder, yeah. Uh, cool. Ben McKenzie. Is that what is that what he goes to jail for? I mean, spoilers for spoilers, spoilers for, yeah, Gotham, for, for for various seasons of Gotham that I season two, I believe. But oh, really? He goes to he, wow. That mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was early, later. Yeah, oh. he's
1: forced into a choice in which, um, you know, one one alternative is to you know kind of let the system have it. The system seems to be rigged, and and he doesn't feel like he can trust it anymore because he's seen it fail him time and time again. But that is, you know, the right thing to do. Or he knows pretty well he thinks he can get away with killing him. And even if he can't get away with killing him, it's worth it because this guy is going to wreak so much havoc that Jim's suffering, Jim Gordon's suffering would be worth it. Um, and he makes a choice.
0: There we go. I wish, I wish I could say that Daredevil took quite, this, quite, quite the big swing that you're describing there.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, for, for a a broadcast show which is, it is serialized, um, especially by season two. It's been a good, I think, four to five episodes on this. Mm. Um, So it's been, and it was right at the heart of the season. So anyway. Yeah, no. Uh, But no, it's, that is, I mean, it's a familiar idea, but I do feel like even if like the show isn't as eager to engage with it as other shows or other properties or whatever, again, the context that people bring to it might Provide added value if they're at least you know in the ballpark and in line with things where you know you can relate to it in a way where you're like that's bullshit. I hate this guy even more because he represents all these other people that I really hate in the real world.
0: Right? Yeah. God. The, the, the I I've always kind of found the the whole like is it right to kill somebody if, if you know morally it's I I, I it's a fast it's technically a fascinating question an important character question but I've always found it a little dull um, and especially because like. Um, I really enjoyed the first season of of Arrow on the CW, um, m- mostly in retrospect. But it was like basically I, I years years uh, not, uh, goth- uh, not goth not uh, goth. Jeez, uh, Arrow is on its seventh season now. I think we learned that recently. Good God! Um, and uh, but in its in, but like a year or two ago, I was just rewatching the first season, and I forgot how much fun it was because it was just basically all it was was. Oliver Queen running around, running around his city, screaming, you have failed the city, and then shooting people dead with arrows. Like, he murdered so many people in the first season. And then at the, the end of the first season, uh, somebody dies that's close to him. And he's like, oh, murder's bad. I shouldn't do that anymore. And then season two, it's all like, I can't murder people anymore. It really sucks. And eventually he gets back to murdering. But the, the times when he's like, oh, no, I can't murder any, anymore. Murder is bad. It's like, it's kind of a drag.
1: Um, Liz, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it very much sounds like you're saying that the answer to should we or should we not kill people is simple, and we should.
0: I'm just saying Arrow was a lot more fun before it became a morality play about is murdering people bad. <laughs>
1: you, you don't think the question of of should we murder, AK- I mean, this is, this is just an allegory for the death penalty, really. But yeah. You don't think that that's an interesting or engaging or fulfilling, or do you think it's just tired? Do you think it's just played out? I
0: think I think it gets I think it can get tired, and especially basically I think the the big thing here that I'm 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 talking about arrow murdering people with glee because it was fun. It was like it was it was good. It was like comic book violence versus like real world violence. Like there's a very big difference between a guy like and. I think that's where the problem is is like when you go away from the comic book violence aspect and you try to you kind of like try to have a real and gritty approach and that's always what the Marvel Netflix series have done. They've always tried to be like oh we're real, we're grounded, we're so we're so edgy. And you know, they deliver often enough on that promise, but uh but Liz just wants to have fun. Sometimes it's fun to watch a- Guy run around and shoot people with a bow and arrow and scream, "You have failed the city!"
1: You know, Liz, I don't want to, <coughs> I don't want to step back into the therapist chair, but um, it kind of sounds like these issues might be related, and that you become frustrated with a show like Arrow when it tries to engage with some form of reality because you're looking to escape reality as often as you can, which is very similar to living in denial, <coughs> which is what you mentioned doing earlier. Yeah. Hmm. Are we worried about this? No. Elizabeth?
0: No, it's been serving me pretty well for a few decades now, so.
1: defined pretty well, Elizabeth.
0: I'm doing great, Ben. How about you? Do you feel
1: mentally sound? (coughs) Because earlier you tried to tell me that Josh Radner was the sixth best Josh in the universe.
0: Not in the universe, just in my sphere. Good God. Josh Radner is a good Josh. He's not the best Josh.
1: He was well ahead of quality Joshes.
0: You just don't understand what it means to be a Josh.
1: <laughs> I mean, for ranking them on, like, douchey beards, then I guess he'd be fairly high. <laughs> you know,
0: his beard is not douchey most of the time. Sometimes it is douchey. I would
1: explain why Joshua Jackson was at the top.
0: Yeah, Joshua Jackson's great. A plus Josh. A douchey beard. He does not have a douchey beard.
1: He's got, like, the ultimate, this is a five o'clock shadow, except I've been growing it for four days beard.
0: It doesn't sound like a beard. That just sounds like Scruff.
1: Yeah, but when you grow something for four days, and it's, like, purposeful, and it's out, and it's trimmed, and it's not, like, shaved, and then just kind of naturally, it's, it's a beard.
0: <laughs> this is a whole other leather discussion I didn't think we were going to get to today.
1: Should we go back to the leftovers?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will give you one final leftovers thought before, uh, because you, you were very good, and you talked about making a murderer for a whole, like, Eight minutes there.
1: It was a long time. Yeah. Uh, in summation, making a murderer part two is not worth watching. Um, the leftovers, however, is such a beautiful show and one that again, I wish I wish Liz would really, you know, pay proper attention to and, and kind of devote some some internal time. To think about and to how about i on.
0: spend approximately you know 20 percent of my working day staring at a wall with leftovers posters on it would that help
1: well i thought it would but it obviously <laughs> has not um because when you actually engage with shows on on the level <laughs> of which they're asked to be engaged with um you can you can draw something out of yourself in a way that a lot of other um a lot of other pursuits of similar in a similar vein cannot. Like I mean, that's what art is here to do a lot of the time. And while plenty of it can be fun and the value of the fun stuff is, is irrefutable, um, something like The Leftovers is so good because it is fun and it is engaging from a narrative standpoint. But where it's guiding you on that journey is very conscious and purposeful and it makes you engage with questions that are valuable. And a question like are we hopeless? Is it hopeless to pursue things that that feel insurmountable? Um, Even that appear by all means to be insurmountable. Is that a fruitless endeavor? That is a question that a lot of people have to answer for themselves in order to find value within their lives. And uh, I think The Leftovers does this very well. I think Making a Murderer um, shows people answering who have answered that question without really delving into why they answered that question the way they did um and liz you know i'd, I'd just like i'd just like you to to answer that question too someday
0: what, what is the question again don't worry about it <laughs> i just feel like feel like there were a lot of questions in there mostly geared towards do you watch the leftovers enough which i feel like i do
1: no clearly i don't what did you watch it today
0: no, but again, I stared at the posters a lot. And then I talked to you about it for 20 minutes.
1: These are these are beautiful images of what the show has to offer. Yes. And they can often remind you of, of the pertinent themes of the show. But they're also, you know, marketing. That's why Justin is shirtless in both of these. Because they're trying to sell something to you. Right. And, you know, Liz, start buying. <laughs>
0: Ben, what
1: was the best thing you watched last week? The best thing I watched last week was uh, all our alternative topic of the day: uh, the Netflix original drama series, co-produced by the BBC, uh, *Wanderlust*. Ooh. Uh This is has no relation to the film *Wanderlust*, co-starring one Justin Throw, even oh though we God. have been extensively discussing his work throughout the episode. So I can understand the confusion. Um, It is, instead, stars Tony Collette, who also is an associate producer. Um, It's about a married couple who come to a turning point within their relationship and decide to... Mm. Yeah, it's not really a spoiler. They decide to embark on an open marriage, or at least a form of it, um, at least some sort of experimentation with that realm. And uh, the way in which they approach this as a series is... um, very compassionate toward the characters, um, very thoughtful from like an emotional standpoint. It has a high emotional IQ, um, and Colette is just out of this world good. I mean, she's been having a hell of a year doing mm-hmm. Hereditary and this. I mean, she's been she's had a hell of a career. Let's not you know kid ourselves, yeah. but um,
0: Tony Colette, good actress, <laughs> good actress. <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, no, this is um, this is just six episodes, um, and it's great. Like I, I really. But it was it was very well done. Um, I'll be curious to see where they take it. It could honestly it's one of those that could kind of just end as it is, and, and that's that's as, as good as it gets. But you know, I think it's meant to continue and um, could still continue successfully. So, anyway, um, that's my pick. Liz, what was the best thing you watched last week?
0: Well, to share that, I, I also watched I watched the first episode of Wanderlust, and I liked it a lot. Um, didn't feel really compelled to keep watching, but also there was just other things to watch. So, but yeah, I, I think it's a good recommendation. Um, Thanks, my Liz.
1: what? Thanks, Liz.
0: You're welcome. Um, my my thing is something that you've already recommended, but uh, we are officially past the embargo point as you listen to this uh, for uh, for the full season of home, of uh, Homecoming, and that is a good television show. Uh, our good friend Sam Esmail has directed uh, a. Very exciting, very intriguing, very very just a lot of things. Just like it's trying so many things in so many interesting ways. And it's going to be really exciting to dig into it more. Um, I know both Ben and I and the, the whole team is excited to, you know, really explore everything they're doing with it. And, um, it's going to be, it stars Julia Roberts. Uh, may have heard of her. May have heard of her. And an incredibly packed uh, ensemble cast, actually. Like, even like, I would be, even like smaller roles, like uh, Julia, Julia Roberts' mom is played by Sissy Spacek. And uh, I, I actually was really excited about, like, there's one scene in a later episode uh, where this, with this one actor, with this one guy. And I was like, I recognize that guy, I recognize that guy. I rec- what is it? What do I recognize him from? And it's uh, Fran Krantz, who. Is a great actor who's appeared in a lot of different stuff. And he's so, and he's only in this one scene, but he's so good in it. Um, and so, yeah, it's just I think there's a lot of stuff to talk about with it. Um, and I don't even want I don't even want to say too much about the plot because it's a very sharp thriller. It's very much intent on kind of drawing you in and revealing everything, all of its secrets, very deliberately. So yeah, I think uh, gonna be a, gonna be a fun one to discuss. Uh, but before we do, before we get into it, uh, before we dig into that one, Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to?
1: Uh, I'm looking forward to Busy Tonight, mm. Busy Phillips' new talk show.
0: That is not a pick I would have expected for you.
1: I, I love Busy Phillips. She's great.
0: No, she is. That's totally true.
1: I don't know anything about the show. I just know it's, a talk it's show. her show.
0: She's going to hang out and talk to people.
1: I will assume that at some point Michelle Williams, her best friend, will stop by. One would hope. Huge win for everybody involved.
0: Now, okay. What is your, like, what was your Busy Phillips touchstone? Like, what do you, what do you love her from?
1: Oh, man. Where did it begin? I mean, Cougartown? Yeah. I I feel like Cougartown was, is definitely the most I've been continuously exposed to Busy Phillips. Right. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, she's one of those actors who, even in something where I'm not over the moon about it, like camping, when she shows up, you're like, oh, shit, this just got so much better. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like her personality is so rich that, um, and I don't think the talk show is going to help with this at all. Uh, but it can almost it can almost lead to people people feeling like you're just seeing her a lot of the time, which dilutes the value of of her performance skill. But she's she's a very talented performer. She knows how to channel her energy in such a way that really serves her characters in a specific and uh i don't want to say nuance that's overused but but a but a a way in which you can distinguish between a lot of her characters even if she's clearly cast as a similar type in a few different things right um and i i think that clearly you know her presence on social media and otherwise um leads her to success in the realm of a, of a late night talk show um so i'm excited to see it
0: yeah, sounds good. No, I, I'm excited. You're excited. I, I, I don't. I feel like I, I want to check it out too. Um, but yeah, I hadn't hadn't really given it much thought. So I'm glad one of us is on the is is paying attention there.
1: Yeah, I mean, huh. what about you, Liz? What are you looking forward to next?
0: Well, um, I've got like basically like, I've been hitting this point where half of my to-do list is just watch this thing. God damn it. Um, <clears throat> And on my list uh probably the highest priority beyond uh, the final two episodes of Homecoming is this show we've talked about before once or twice, I don't know. I mean, how often does House of Cards come up? Um that's that was my sarcastic voice. Yeah, I'm going to watch some House of Cards this weekend, Ben. Got to yeah. got to watch a lot of it actually.
1: Yeah, me too, Liz.
0: Yeah. Got to got to see what's going on there. Um and, but I am I'm kind of excited to see what they're going to do with it. The fact that they're doing press for it is interesting. We'll see how not doing a ton of press, but certainly seeing how all of that goes is going to be uh, quite quite an experience. I don't know. It's like I mean I I even even before I was covering TV officially, I was covering House of Cards. Like uh, one of my first big article one of my first big uh, articles I ever read about Netflix was. A diary of me binging the first season in one day. Um, I started at midnight that night and kept on plowing, and uh, it was it was quite the experience. But uh, it was, and so I have I have a lot of I have a lot of fond memories of watching House of Cards as soon as it premiered and all that. And I'm kind of I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how the show's changed in, in this final season.
1: Yes, I am. Going to watch it as well.
0: <laughs> You're really excited about it.
1: I'm excited for Diane Lane.
0: Yeah, Diane Lane, uh, Greg, Constance, Kenier, Constance Zimmer.
1: Bring me more Constance, people.
0: Con- no, more Constance is always a good thing. Right. Gonna let, gonna let a uh, Robin Wright uh, kind of take the lead. Why not? Sure. Yeah, it should be interesting. Should be interesting, certainly. Hopefully, it's interesting because I feel like actually. House of Cards has had a terrible the House of Cards at its worst was boring like that was the worst thing you could say about it so
1: Mm, probably well probably maybe Uh, I'm definitely not taking it as a sign that they're releasing it in Emmy dumping season of November early November it's not exactly a show that has a lot of Golden Globes opportunities Mm -hmm. considering how the Globes do things so that they're not positioning a longtime nominee uh, for any sort of awards consideration doesn't have me worried whatsoever.
0: Sure. Sure. But I'm sure you'll be able to read all about what we actually think of it and more on IndieWire.com. Where you'll find news reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like.
1: Make sure to listen to all our podcasts, uh, who will be talking about, I mean, Oscar-nominated films mainly, but I'm sure the Turn It On podcast will talk about House of Cards at some point, uh, that's with Michael Schneider. Um, as for our film podcast, there's the one that started it all.
0: Uh, screen Talk with Anne Anto- With Ann Cohn and Eric <laughs> well, Thompson.
1: Yeah. I was trying to think of um I was trying to think of another way to say the one that started it all, I like to try to just be repetitious about it. But yes, that one, Screen Talk with, uh, with Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson. With like the Cone and the Thompson. Cone Thompson. Um Con Thompson. And of course, I mean I just, I mean, if you really want to look at somebody who is the embodiment of, of health and and goodwill and who clearly took the many lessons within The Leftovers to heart um, and applies them every day, make sure to listen to the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast from the one, the only, the great, Chris O'Fault.
0: Do you actually have proof that Chris O'Fault has watched The Leftovers?
1: Uh, yeah, I do. Liz. What's your proof? I look him in the eyes, <laughs> and I see his soul, and it's beautiful.
0: What if he found out you he had, had not watched The Leftovers?
1: Um, I don't know why you're asking me a question that I already know the answer to. It's like a hypothetical that couldn't exist, so.
0: Okay. I don't know what to say right now. <laughs> Oh, thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week. Um, you can find us again on iTunes, actually. I meant to, mention that or meant to mention that earlier, but we had some issues with iTunes as a service, but we are now re-rankable re-rateable, re-reviewable. If you want to say something nice about us, feel free to go to iTunes and search for Anywhere. a very good television podcast, you will find us.
1: Yeah, and make sure when you write those reviews that you refer to Liz as Kersey McGee because that's what got us <laughs> banned in the first
0: place. No, case. you weren't Kersey McGee!
1: <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> Listen to last week's episode, and we you'll agreed hear, that it was because, it was because
0: of that Boston that Boston accent episode, where everything you said sounded filthy. That not, that was the episode that probably got us banned.
1: It's not my fault that I that I can incorporate a flawless accent of the world's like perfect interpretation of the English language.
0: You can find Cursey McGee here over at Ben T Travers on Twitter.
1: No, no, no. I'm Ben, <laughs> and I'm at Ben T Travers. You're Liz, aka Cursey McGee. And you can be found at cursey McGee, a.k.a. at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E, just like McGee is with a Mick <laughs> and then a G.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. If you have an opinion regarding which of us is the most cursey on this show, please write in. Because um, I, want, I, I feel very strongly that Ben curses a lot more than me.
1: I don't really give a shit.
0: <laughs> there we go. <laughs> perfect but we are now listed as explicit which is the so everything is fine now
1: i really don't think kids should have been listening to us anyway
0: no that's very true
1: i'll do a special edition for children (laughs) in which we have like the jim carrey kidding conversation about death (laughs) Um, but i think that's really the only service i'm ready to provide for for the wee ones
0: very much agreed um but thank you again for listening even if you are under the age of 18 in which case very sorry for warping your innocent mind Um, and we will be back next week and as always keep watching television